part of the development of the baseball athlete. Yeah, a lot of guys want to develop the skill part of it and totally develop that. But I don't know how you develop the skill part of it if you're not including, you know, mobility and stability and, and strength and power. So the things that we're starting to see now when you start to look at these accelerometers is who can build power and speed in order, but more importantly, how fast can they build it? When you equate that to bat speed, you know, we both may have 70 miles an hour, but my ability to to launch a bat, maybe from a shorter radius, radius, but at a later point, but I can reach my 70 miles an hour faster, may give me an advantage to wait a little bit longer on the pitch. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Yakertech. Yakertech is the gold standard for measuring spin rate, velocity, trajectory, and most important, spin axis of a pitch ball. No other system captures such clarity of a moving ball. Learn more about their system at yakertech.com. On this episode, we sit down with Rick Strickland, owner of Rick Strickland Baseball and a hitting consultant for the Texas Rangers. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Rick Strickland. Welcome back to the farm system. We're here with Rick Strickland. Coach, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us here at the farm system. Absolutely. Excited to be on. Well, Rick, you know, one of the main reasons we want to have you on, obviously, uh, we've developed a relationship ever since uh, Bridge the Gap last year, and I've really gotten to know you and how much, you know, how much you bring to the table. And uh, you've, you've taught me quite a bit, and there's a lot of things that I lean on you for. So I wanted to bring you on and have our listeners um, take part in that as well. Well, I'm excited to be on. It was a pleasure meeting you out there. It's such a fine event. You know, got to talk a lot and listen a lot to a lot of bright minds out there. It's a great, great program. Yeah, man, absolutely. And before we dive and kind of kick off the show here, Rick, uh, do you mind taking our listeners through your journey to get to this point in your career? You know, I started off playing baseball, like most of us, getting out there as, as young kids, playing, enjoying the sport. Uh, had an opportunity to play some junior college ball and then off to Division One school at Austin Peay State University in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, and then got drafted, you know, after my senior year and went and played about four years in the Yankee farm system. Learned a lot about the process of professional ball. Um, when I got done with uh, with pro ball, I wasn't really interested in coaching or anything like that and got looped into it back in the early 90s um, and then started coaching some recreational teams and they were successful and one thing led to another. I ended up doing it again. And then by 1990, uh, let's say 1996, I started a program called the St. Louis Pirates, which was really just to grab some kids who have been playing Legion ball, put them on the field in the fall, play some junior college teams, and see if we can help get those guys to junior college and things like that. And, you know, without any planning, we, we were ultra successful at it. And then it led into summer ball and, and those types of things as well. 
And uh, I decided at that point in time, if parents are going to hold me responsible for getting their kids to the next level, that I need to do more than just roll the balls out there and let these kids play, but take a more active role in, in player and developing these guys and try to look at them. And that evolved from asking the question, uh, question to Sean McDermott, who was at the University of Illinois, he's still there, Chicago. You know, why aren't you recruiting my team? We're out here kicking junior college's tails. And he says, well, you need to get bigger, stronger, and faster is what you need to do. And I said, okay, so then we'll work on that. Uh, and player development, and, and that's kind of put me on this path of uh, this journey of where I'm at now. We, we kind of expanded the St. Louis Pirates into what I consider to be a full college uh, development program and player development program. And you know, several years later, you know, professional teams have asked me to to join their player development staff and help you know lend some expertise in the, how they could better train their players. And so that's where I'm at right now in 2019. That's kind of what that journey looked like. That's awesome. Now, and you know, Rick, when you, you, you talk about now that that process has really developed uh, over the years, could you take us through what, you know, just a high level overview of what it goes on um, on a daily basis with uh, you and your players and, and your guys' staff? You talking about the, 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 at the Rick Strickland baseball or. Correct. Yeah. Let, yeah. Why don't you, why don't you touch on the, the Strickland baseball first? Well, basically what, how we decided to do it is basically uh, we'll pick our teams in, in August September, then we'll we'll go into a fall league so that we can get an idea of what kind of players we got, how they're developing. It's really kind of critical at that time to for some of the guys who are still trying to get that last look at a college. So we roll them out, we play every weekend. Um, we'll have some guys come in the middle of the week, and really we're not really trying to change patterns or anything at that point in time. We're just trying to make sure we, we get the guys prepared to perform on the field. And then our, uh, November rolls around, and then we kind of hit it. We hit it from a from a strength, from a movement, from a uh, for the most for the first eight weeks with very little emphasis on skill development. So very little emphasis on ground balls and and swinging a bat and stuff like that. But we're trying to work on all the things that support those movements, all the athletic parts, components that support those. Uh, so our strength guys will work on creating power uh, with the players. It's not really designed for us to run into the gym and get bigger, you know, bulky. It's really trying to teach these young athletes how to run and jump and, and be dynamic athletes more than anything else. And then we try to, in January, February, we start to really start to hone in on the skill development side at that point, trying to really work on those guys to uh, uh, get better uh, as af- athletes at that point in time. So that's what we work on. That's kind of our process. And Mar- February, March, the guys in, in, in the Illinois, Missouri area will go out and play high school ball with them. In, uh, in June and July, which people kind of consider the times they, they uh, get themselves in front of you know, the schools at that point in time, I look at that more as an evaluation more than anything else. You put them out there, they have to play, but you're trying to evaluate for those kids that come back to you. You're trying to get a good gauge as to what you actually need to work on from both a, 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 from, from a power, from a strength, from a skill, all those types of things like that. So that's kind of our process and our loop as to how we actually go about doing it. That's awesome. And then, you know, also, obviously, you're doing some consulting work with the Rangers right now. Uh, what does a day, you know, in, in that life look like, you know, right now? What are kind of like your roles and some things that you do on a daily basis? Well, this is this is diff- this is different. You know, the first two years I did it with the Cardinals and it was basically kind of a trial thing with them to see um, how they wanted to implement and get up to date with those things, with technology, with some of the technologies I was using before that everybody in the country is using now. Um, the Rangers have actually wanted to expand that role. So basically what it looks like is, you know, I, I come in, I spend a lot of time using, you know, 4D motion or KVEST or a bat sensor, blast, modus, whatever technology. So we basically, when I evaluate the guys, I evaluate them from, from three different 
categories. We, we look at the ball, we look at, we use Rapsodo for that. We look at the, uh, the, the bat. So we, the Rangers organization, we use a diamond kinetic seek, uh, sensor. And then we look at it from the body, which I'll use depending upon the situation, either 4D or KVS. So I'll, I'll look at that. So we'll bring an athlete in. Uh, we do it off a of live BP. Uh, where we'll throw when I'm trying to hit throw balls in each one of the categories to see how they react and swing those balls in different categories. And then kind of write a little report, you know, kind of compare that to the performance to see if we can pick up any trends and how they practice, to, if those practice behaviors actually show up in the, in the game. Yeah, man, that's interesting. I, I wonder the crossover here, talking about the evaluation process there at the pro level. Take us through your evaluation process for Strickland Baseball. Um, you know, if you're working with an athlete or um, evaluating them for the first time, what does that look like and what data resources do you use for that? Well, you know, you create your own, I mean, your own data for some, for some things, but, you know, basically from an evaluation standpoint, you know, years ago, a couple of years ago, when, you know, before TPI became on base, I was TPI certified. So we'd take them through the subjective screens where we would go in and have them do all the range of motions and stuff like that. Now we actually use the, the, the modus, um, uh, modus one sensors for an evaluation. So we put them through almost the same kind of exercises, but we, we capture data on, them, uh, basically. And then the first thing we're doing before you actually, you know, try to build a power program, you're trying to see, you know, what limitations this, this particular athlete is struggling with. You know, with these youth kids, you got a lot of the same issues going on. You know, they don't have control of their bodies. They definitely not really efficient using the core and things like that. So, you know, part of the development of the baseball athlete. A lot of guys want to develop the skill part of it and totally develop that. But I don't know how you develop the skill part of it if you're not including, you know, mobility and stability and and strength and power and those things like that. Because really those are the things that when you look at uh, diamond kinetics or blast, they're giving you power metrics and acceleration metrics and all those types of things like that. Well, that's, that's power and speed and and everything else. So if you're going to develop a high-level swing, you have to have that kind of evaluation process where you're looking at that so you can see over time whether or not your training program is actually contributing to the development of the complete athlete, not just the baseball ball. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's such a big key. I mean, that's so good right there. Um, you know, obviously everybody's, you know, uh, stronger, faster, all those things, but there's a lot of things that go into that to make those things happen and really wanted you to dive into, I mean, obviously now that you've done so many, uh, evaluations, you guys have collected so much data on that side. What, in your opinion, what is the common separation between, you know, these professional athletes and the amateur athletes? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting question. For the first thing that jumps out to you, the, the professional guys, they're just stronger. That's that's for sure. And I would say that's the biggest thing that you have right now. Of course, they have more reps and a little bit more skill, but the biggest difference you see between amateurs and professional guys is the, the professional guys' ability to, to create power and speed. They're just they're just different. You know, you, you see, hell, I can, you can tell that from athlete to athlete, from place to place, but that's where it, that's where it goes. So, you know, what we, what we starting to have a, an issue with, and I don't, I won't say an issue. I don't know what the end result of this is going to actually be, but you see at the amateur level, everybody's in this sprint to try to make the kid bigger, stronger, faster, you know, probably in my opinion, probably for the body, the athlete's body's ready to do that uh, at that point. So, People know that this is what the professional athlete looks like, and I think we're trying to take the youth athlete 
and and turn them into that as quickly as we possibly can. I'm always skeptical of that because we have young kids that are still developing, bodies are still developing, they're changing, bone structure, the bones haven't you know matured and, and things of that nature. So, you know, that's that's the one big thing that we see is these guys, when I get to these 20, 21, 23 year old professional guys, their body's where they need to be. We're usually what you're looking at those guys, if they have any type of movement issues or things like that, for the most part, those guys are probably getting as close as they possibly can on the strength side. Yeah, that's one thing I wanted to, you know, touch on just like what you're saying right there is, you know, the, uh, we can really get blinded, obviously, if we were, you know, like we said with these athletes, let's say that, you know, they're putting up a certain metric, right? And let's say we have an athlete that is not as strong or not as fast or is also not as skilled in, let's say, sequencing and all those things. There's a lot of ways to uh, create a force or there's a lot of ways to create a metric. Um, and, you know, a lot of times I'll see a lot of young athletes, again, wanting to be a uh, professional athlete. They want to mimic their numbers. But, you know, there's a lot of ways to create numbers. There's a lot of compensations that uh, players will develop early, you know, trying to generate all of this speed or trying to generate all of this force. And I think, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something I, you know, that you were kind of tapping into there too. We got to make sure there's a big part of that development process. You know, the professional athlete may have not been swinging that hard when he was 13 or 14 years old or creating that much power at that age. Um, and there's a lot well, more to that circle. You know, it's funny when you say that. Last night I was watching a game and one of the kids that the kid that closed the game out against was a former player of mine. And uh, we had a conversation today. I said, you're going to thank me for this when you get to the big leagues. Because he's about 150 pounds and he thought he was going to be a shortstop and didn't like to pitch. And, you know, he'd throw balls. We had a pro day his senior year. He's probably 175 pounds. I had to go back and a little further than that because when he tried out, Brian DeLunis, who's one of the big, uh, he's, he's pretty high ups in, in the Mariners organization on the pitching side, wanted to cut him. And Brian probably won't remember this and say I'm lying about this, but the conversation we had, he's, I don't think this guy swings the bat very well. And I go, do you see how this guy's arm's working? <laughs> I go, well, he's only throwing like 82, 83. He says, no, 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 no. We're going to keep this guy, right? And it turned out I, I ended up working with the Mets. We ended up drafting him low. He ended up going to college, but and he was telling me, I don't want to get drafted. I want to be a position player. And I go, dude, you're not going to be a position player when you're 20 years old. You're going to pitch. All right? And I see him out there last night. He's throwing 93, 95. Now, this is a guy that probably wasn't in any velocity training programs. But it's just identifying this athlete that had so much growth potential in his body. And that's kind of how we built our select program out as being good at trying to identify who those athletes are. And then working working with those guys to go, go from that. But that's that's really a lot of what's happening. Then I see some of the players from from uh, the international players, and these guys come over and they're already in their grown men bodies. And we, we you know, mm -hmm. except for the exceptional exceptional guys, some of these guys that are signing for one, two, three million dollars are no different than the than the American kids. The only difference is they're already mm -hmm. in their grown men body. <laughs> that's the, that's the difference. But, yeah. You know, you see this young yeah. skinny American kid that's going to be a better player than that guy in two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Rick, I wanted to circle back and touch on, open this up a little bit. I've heard you talk about the importance of timing, uh, not necessarily timing with the pitch, but timing the body's movements and connecting the segments in the proper order. Can you open up the importance of sequencing and then some of the discrepancies you see in that in the amateur to professional level? Well, the, yeah, I mean, everything about the kinetic sequence is really how this is you know, I got to be careful how I word this. You know, we have all the products that help you develop to, to measure the kinetic sequence and got a couple of products out there really pushing that if you don't do the sequence right, you won't hit. Well, that's false. 
you know, that's mm. false. What it's telling you is that this guy builds energy the correct way. He can build the mm. correct way. He can produce it quickly. So the things that we're starting to see now, when you start to look at these accelerometers is who can build power and speed in order, but more importantly, how fast can he build it? You're, you're looking at guys with vertical jumps of 40 inches. You can actually look off the ground. You can look at them and say both those guys can jump very, very high. But one guy might be able to get the, his 40 inch to the top of his jump quicker than the other guy. And that's what we're seeing, you know, with your elite guys is their ability to produce power and speed quicker and faster than everybody else. So when you're looking at the kinetic sequence, you can't just look at one, two, three, and four. It's how they're actually producing and how quickly they're producing that power. Now, one of the first mistakes that most guys do when they grab some of these technologies, they want to look at how fast they're going degrees per second. But I can tell you mm -hmm. that if you look at a 12-year-old player, his rotational hip speeds may actually be faster than a professional guy. His hand speed mm -hmm. won't be, but his, his, his hip and chest will be, will be just as fast. And one of those is because it has to because they don't have core stability. So even though degrees per second they're moving as fast as the pro player, they, they're not equipped yet to hit 90 miles an hour fastballs because they don't have the strength and the stability to control the joints like the professional guys that do it, who are actually rotating slower, but they're actually the acceleration rates and how they're doing it is actually quicker than the U players. So looking deeper into how the athlete actually produces power and speed makes it makes a big difference. When you equate that to bat speed, you know we both may have 70 miles an hour, but my ability to to launch a bat maybe from a shorter radius the radius but at a later point, but I can reach my 70 miles an hour faster, may give me an advantage to wait a little bit longer on the pitch. So as we look at these, these, these metrics, we just can't say group them all in one category. This guy has elite bat speed. So that's what, what's going to make him special. I've seen guys with you know, broken records on, the, on these bat sensor things, but can't catch up to fastballs at all. So, you know, so then we have to really yeah. kind of look at what the speed, what does it actually tell us? What do we know as much about these players as we possibly could know about them? So. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, with all this technology, obviously you guys uh, use 40 uh, pretty heavily. And then also um, you've talked about KVEST a couple of times when you're looking at this data and you realize, you know, guys and you and you're looking at their sequence. What are ways that you use um, this data and the technology to help uh, the athlete move better? What are some ways you go about that? You know, I, I try to, you know, so you, a lot of times you're learning from strength people, you know, how they would address, mm -hmm. you know, maybe pelvic issues or uh, T-spine mobility issues. And so what I do is I allow those professionals to do their job. I'm not, I just want to know enough so I understand what, where they're going with it. But these, you know, so many guys are way more experienced at being able to, to do that. But what I do is I watch and then we try to develop, you know, maybe skill-based stuff to to build on top of what they're doing in their in their corrective classes things of that nature so that's kind of how we use it we use it to help us kind of mark and identify you know you may go and look at a sequence and say man you know one of the things you can see in some of the sequences you can see timing issues between the pelvis and the chest they don't rotate together that the, the chest is lagging behind the, the pelvis and stuff like that so you know and, I, and now when i first started doing it, i didn't know that that, that could be caused by just core strength issues but now you pick that up in the technology you can say okay what do you think strength guy about his core strength so it's funny so i'm sitting in in a lot of the meetings of spring training going over stuff, stuff like this and i deliberately went in not to know anything about the players i was assessing 
the reason why is because you have a lot of skeptics that, that look at this technology and say, oh, it doesn't work. These guys think they're smarter than us. We're experts at hitting, which, to be honest with you, there aren't any experts at hitting. The reason why I say that is if they were all, they, that, that expert would have everybody hitting a thousand with home runs. So we're still trying to figure out how to make a best, uh, a, a good, good hitter. But what you can see is you can start to predict mechanical issues and flaws if you you understand what the technology is actually telling you. So I would go into these meetings and just say, okay, this is how I think this guy was going to hit it. And maybe I'm wrong about saying this, but there were very few disagreements with how I was excessive. And then I would say something maybe negative about a player. Like, oh, this kid's, this kid's awesome. He's great. He had a great year, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, his body sucks. <laughs> so this is, is, you know, I shouldn't say, that this doesn't mean the kid won't be productive, but what it says is if this kid's really good and he has these, mm. he's performed this well and he has this flaw, it tells you what kind of potential this player may have if you can clean up some of the other things. A lot of times in baseball, what happens, especially at the pro level, a kid may be performing in the way the player development model is set, structured that way. You hit 300, you hit 12 home runs, you move up. So when a kid's doing well, our, our tendency at the pro level is to get the hell out of the way and let him play. But what I see now in my old advanced age is if you do that and don't address the shortcomings now, or at least you try to discreetly address discreetly address them without really, you know, making this a real issue with the hitter, eventually with the scouting reports and all the technology and stuff, how they, the tracking system, as he moves up, his history will be his history and the opponents will start to explode his weaknesses. So that's, that's one of the things I'm, you know, I'm harping on and how you can use this type of stuff to help you know, develop a complete athlete, one that's going to have some type of conscious or subconscious as he moves up to be able to, to address the issues when, when the opponents start to attack his deficiencies. Absolutely. And, and that's, uh, you know, awesome things. And, you know, obviously you're talking about uh, kinematic sequence there um, and all the data that we can pull from those, um, those uh, avenues as well. Uh, I know one thing that you were heavily, uh, heavily into and use quite a bit. Um, we're talking about ground, uh, ground reaction forces and um, all the data that goes along with that too, how the athlete is using the floor. Can you dive into some of the technology that you've used for that and some of the, um, you know, some of the things we talked about back at bridge and how, what you were seeing with a lot of those elite athletes? Well, you know, we use it. Um, we use a body track map, uh, which gives me a lot of information about how the guy's center of, of pressure uh, into the ground. It's not really a force force plate like a force plate is going to give you horizontal, vertical, and all that other kind of stuff like that. It'll give you some of that stuff. But for us, that's in the academy segment, it gives us enough information about how a guy may be reacting to the ground. One of the things we would see with, with a lot of young kids is that they would be more toe based, the ability to push their heel and midfoot into the into the ground to be able to use it to create power off the ground. They weren't very good at that. They, mm -hmm. they weren't. Uh, so you start to look at that. In order for a guy to be a good rotator, he has to be able to get into the ground correctly uh, to be able to do that. Or else what's going to happen is this guy is going to lean. You can see this on the mat. The guy may lean be on his toes at the wrong time when he's trying to, to use the ground. So those mm -hmm. type of things that we were, we were looking at that. We definitely test to see how a guy will can get off the ground. So one of the things you can find out from the mat is, well, from anything, you can use a jump mat or just jump mat. Guys who tend to have higher verticals tend to hit the ball the hardest. <laughs> they just do. You know, I don't mean you can go and, and put extra speeds and, and put together vertical jumps and start to get to some summation that the guys are going to hit it, you know, 35, 40, uh, jump off the ground, 35, 40 degrees can also hit it 100 miles an hour. Uh, 
So the guys who were able to connect with the ground were good. What we were looking for with using the body track mat is guys who weren't good at, at ground mechanics. How do you fix it? Do you need to get crazy with your ground mechanics and all the programs you do? No. Simply have the guy, what happens is guys become baseball players only too early. You know, they don't learn how to run. They don't learn how to jump properly. They don't know how to use the ground. Uh, we do a lot of barefoot stuff. So guys get some type of sense of what it feels like to actually push in the ground. I talk to my kids all the time. My kids, my, 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 my flesh and blood kids, my daughter's about picking their shoes out for, for sports. And they think I'm crazy because I have them bend their shoes. I said, that shoe bends too much. It's probably not a good shoe. Yeah. <laughs> and I know they were telling their mother the other day, my dad, dad wouldn't buy that shoe because, because he says the shoe doesn't offer enough support. Well, kids go buy crazy uh, things like that without paying attention to it, and and some of those things could, could greatly affect how you're how you're interacting with the ground. We see it on the map. That's how we use the body check map. I haven't had access to a force plate. Those things are thirty, forty thousand dollars. I don't know that I actually need it. You know, one of the things as I get older, man, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of reverting back and say, yes, I, I don't want the technology, and I can't build an athlete in a spreadsheet. I can't. Right. I need to use the information as best I can. The guys who like to look at spreadsheets, I'll lean on those guys for some interpretation of the information. But really and truly, guys who are really good baseball coaches should remain that. There was a, a interesting conversation. Uh, I can't remember the company, but he came in and, he, and he, he talked about it. He says, you know what? A lot of these Fortune 500 companies are looking for people who are master coaches. They're not looking for the analytics guys. They're looking for the master coaches. He says, this trend that you think that everybody's looking for guys who can decipher things from a spreadsheet. Well, they have those guys, but you got to have somebody who can teach it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I know one of the, the conversations I had with guys before, if you want me to create advanced formulas and, and algorithms and stuff like that, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> My thing is using the technology that we have right now to try to get the, get the player to perform better. In the professional market, what you have is basically you have this this thing. When they crank it up on the 1st of April, it is go, 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 go. So there's really not a whole lot of time put on the development side. They call it player development, but it's not. It's really go and see how these kids perform as fast as you possibly can. So you're trying to make quick adjustments with these guys, and hopefully you can use the technology, the kinetic sequence, the sensors, the body track mat, to point out something that, that the kid maybe had, has done right in the past, but is doing wrong now. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And you kind of walked into my spider web there. Um, obviously, tech and data started to become a resounding theme, especially with the shift in player development. And, you know, you've already alluded, you've been at it for a while now. What is your opinion on the influx of technology and player development? And then maybe touch on the importance of the blend of science and, and the art of coaching. Well, yeah. I mean, if you get any type of equipment that can help you better understand what your what you think you see, I mean, I, I'm starting to think these old scouts, if you say, well, these guys don't understand the, this, the things and things like that. They they see what they see. They've done enough of that. They can't articulate to you what a good swing looks like. They can't even teach it, but they can see it. They can see those things. And so what you're trying to use the technology for is to reaffirm what these good baseball people have seen, right? And if you get that information, if you know that one of the reasons this guy might be missing this pitch is because he has an attack angle that's too steep to the negative, right? Let's use that, that, that for an example. Maybe it might work on it and practice it a little bit and see if it has some positive, positive results on changing the, the results the kid is actually getting on the field. Maybe you can look at the Rapsodo spin data uh, with that in, in going. But, but what you see is 
you've got a lot of engineers and 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 smart people in, involved on this thing like that. And now it's a race on the coaching side to tell you to see who can create the greatest spreadsheet ever to see if they can build a player out of it. And I'm you simply don't have time for that. When you get a guy on pro ball, what's his window to, to, to impress upon the organization that he's a player? Two, three years? If he's a high school guy, maybe four years? You don't have much time. So you don't have time to kind of figure out the the, the golden rule of it. I, I look at some of the organizations that, quote, unquote, are the best blast motion sensor team out there, and they're really doing it, right? But you look deeper at the numbers. I'm trying to figure out where the hitter's coming from. I haven't seen them killing it with player development, bringing guys up from – from short season A ball all the way through the big leagues. I hadn't seen that yet. So I don't know that on the on the hitting side that anybody has that big of a competitive advantage over the player or over hitting. But what I can tell you is the technology can help you and should help you identify those particular players that might need less work than the others. So that's really what I'm getting out of it here is that, hey, we can really talk about what's one or two small things this player could actually do to make himself a better player. And hopefully, you know, we can get him out of a ball to double a and see what happens from there. That's really what, what we're, it's about doing it because you know, unlike pitching or unlike many other sports that you're dealing with verticals or, or sprinting and stuff like that, you really don't, the hitters doesn't have any control of anything. He's gotta be, he, he didn't get to, 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 to sequence his swing when he wants to sequence. He can't sweep sequence his swing until the pitcher's actually throwing the ball at him. Right. The, the, the hitters, mm-hmm. the kinetic sequence can be bigger and longer. He can do whatever he wants to ever do the sequence. The, play, the hitter doesn't have that, that kind of flexibility to do that. So, mm-hmm. so the hitter's got to react to some type of object and go, and hopefully he's good at it. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, that's, yeah. that's really – and then the, yeah, the coaches have to be really good at interpreting that information if they're going to use it. Some guys are really good at doing this without using it. And, and, and not getting too caught up because sometimes the message to the player can get flooded. It can be so you start talking about it, you know, in the pro level, you talk to a kid that's just out of high school, you start talking to him about attack angle and acceleration rates, and you're going to get this look on your face like, this dude is crazy, right? I just want to hit it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, and you know, when you go in through, I mean, obviously you've gained uh, a lot of experience and that's something that I've, uh, lead on, uh, on you quite a bit for. And when you reflect, um, you know, from that experience and all those things that you learn, is there some things that you look back on that maybe at one time you believed or you, uh, taught a different way and, you know, may- maybe that that's changed with experiences or anything that you can think of off the top of your head of, uh, things like that you look back on? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, if anybody's sitting out there right now and telling you that they haven't learned to become a better coach, then they're lying. They're just lying. I mean, I can sit there and tell you that, you know, I first started out of pro ball because this was what I saw, like, the swing down, let's go there. I was talking the swing down on ball. Well, we know that's false. It's the, well, the application of swinging down is false. I don't mm-hmm. think that the people that were telling us to swing down and how they were, what they, what they meant and how they taught it was wrong. But I think the interpretation is when you actually go back and look at it, the whole swing when you look at it back. So I've gone through this thing that don't swing down, don't swing down to we're not swinging down, but the bat does come down, right? When you, mm. you do it. So it wasn't that the people who were teaching us this were entirely wrong. It was the application, you, you know, their interpretation of what was actually happening, which was false. Uh, but they were entirely wrong with that. So I got taught that. So did I train players to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And did, did probably over time that you – you limit somebody's ability to, to reach their full potential as a coach. I think back, you know, 20 years, 25 years of doing that, probably. 
I don't think mm-hmm. the players hold that against me because I think the players that we were coaching, you know, uh, had some success playing the game. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if a kid gets to go to college and play four years and things like that, that's what I'm most proud of. And if we have, you know, a few of these guys go off and play pro ball and get in the major leagues, that's, that's good too. But, you know, as you, you continue to do this, you continue to learn. And the whole trick over the last few years is to see how fast can you make a change, a positive change in the, the life and experience of a player. Those mistakes and successes that we've had from previous years have helped shape what I am today. Yeah, man. So good. And, uh, you know, Joey tells you to look back and, and reflect on your experiences. I'm going to ask you to pull out your, your fortune teller card for this one. Where do you see the game of baseball, let's say, in the next five years? Well, the technology will continue to be a dominant force in it. Uh, they're going to know so much about the player, both performance-wise, mechanically. There'll be new technologies that may be able to get into the, the neurological side of it, things of that nature. So you can expect that what, where we are today, let's go back, before I answer that question, let's go back 10 years ago. Uh, I think 2009, maybe it was 2009, 11, maybe somewhere in there. I met a guy named Russ Barker out in Kansas City, and he introduced me to this product called Xenolink, which is a camera-based 3D motion analysis system. And we were taking 3D video, and I go, you know what, Russ, I bet you in five years, they're going to be able to automate this with little small sensors. And then we started looking at KVES, because KVES had hired the guy who made Xenolink. And had to, had to be a consultant on their product. And, you know, Chris Welch became a, uh, that. And then we kept banging on KVAS, believe it or not, about making a baseball product. <laughs> and they made, <laughs> they made a baseball product. And now you've got all these KVAS gurus in the baseball world now. Five years ago, they weren't even there. Uh, and then you got 4D Motions come out. If 4D motions come out with these little sensors that are big as a quarter, and they can put them all over your body and grab this information. It's not going to stop there. You know, I've seen one suit that in England that's coming out on the golf side where they put the golfer in a suit and they can look at his swing from a million miles away. It's coming. It's coming to baseball. I mean, it's just a matter of time. The, the, you, if you look at Kinetrax, which people have some familiarity with, it's a calibrated field. You go to the Rays Park or Dodger Stadium, they have 3D biomechanical data on all the pitchers whether it's their pictures or that, they, they just, you know, and you have no control of that. So they, they, they're 3D calibrated to feel at this point. So don't think that, you know, if people start to think on the professional side that it gives the Dodgers a, a, a competitive advantage that the Cubs won't have it, the Angels won't have it, the Rangers will have it, the Cardinals will have it. They'll all do it. They'll, they'll all get it. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're going to see, you know, calibrated. StatCast is a wonderful tool because it does so many different things. It tells you how fast, I mean, these guys know how fast you're running down the line. They go into negotiations and they're talking about you dog get down the line. You can't argue with them. They got it on video. (laughs) They know how fast you're running. (laughs) So, you know, we're already there right now. We're already there right now. Trust me, it'll start to filter its way down into the minor leagues. An organization like Perfect Game will have calibrated fields with their new, new field. So, you know, there'll be so much information and data that'll be gathered on amateur players and professional players. It'll be mind boggling five years. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing, one thing I wanted you to touch on as we start to wrap up here, I wanted you to touch on, you know, when you look at holistically at player development right now, especially you having uh, the view that you have and, um, you know, definitely have worked with quite a few organizations on that side. Where do you feel that uh, player development can get better? Well, we have to define what player development is. 
I mean, especially at the professional level, what is it? You know, that's really my, my biggest question for, for those people is if a guy has mechanical issues, but he's hitting 350, if you leave him alone, right, is that player development? Man, some, it's at some point, yes. But if you know down the road because of what he's doing is, is going to, to harm him, the minor league system should be catered to do that, uh, for that. But, you know, we don't, we don't, yeah, I probably would almost venture to say that, you know, way back 30 years ago, the, the way big kids play baseball, which is, which is in pickup games and things like that, where they tried all sorts of different types of stuff with no pressure of college scholarships or anything like that, was probably a better player development model than what we have right now for kids joining select teams and, you know, be on nine different select teams every, every summer. So they can get in front of college scouts. That's not player development at all. So the way it needs to it needs to happen, if you're going to go into a player development system, there are other organizations, other sports that do a hell of a lot better job of it than baseball. The soccer folks do it. It's kind of it's really ironic that soccer and maybe rugby, I think, or Japanese soccer. I saw this thing on on 60 Minutes or Real Sports one day, and they were talking about the Japanese um, soccer teams and how this one guy had a theory that from the womb, as soon as a kid starts to be able to, to walk in Japan, they teach him how to dribble a soccer ball, hmm. right? And Japanese have gone from a nobody on the, on the soccer uh, field to an international power. Well, they, they, they've got a player development structure. That's how they develop their players. They teach them ball skills from the very beginning. They teach them how to do that. So. You know, and the baseball models that's set up right now, it's not set up for player development. It's set up to, pl- to just to play. That's how they that's how they uh, decide on on how you're you're good or not. They don't they don't do the, the necessary things right now that's going to to help you. Uh, well, people do it on an individual basis. They may come see your facility or my facility to try to get some additional stuff. But really and truly, it's out the door to play as many games as you possibly can. So I think where it can help, where it can improve is a more concerted effort on the, especially on the professional side to that, to that focus on if this player needs to focus on his mechanics and, and things of that nature, then maybe he doesn't do that in, in, in 140 games. Maybe he does, does that in 70 games, but he spends a great deal of his time, especially when he's 18, 19 years old, working on his craft. Right. Uh, almost in a non-threatening, threatening way. Cause uh, you'd be at these affiliates and guys are hitting 120. You think their minds is is focused on player development? Hell no, their minds focus on their batting average, so they can't get better. So that's where baseball fails. But will it change? The way the whole system set up is difficult because you know three or four weeks, what are you going to do? They're going to draft thirty more players each organization. That yep. means thirty new spots, thirty guys who were in the system will be thrown out. That's kind of how it is. So it needs to change, and I think that you'll see some some creative ways uh, for some organizations will start to do that. Uh, I bet you in the next year or so, you'll have some people taking their teams out of leagues and they're especially young teams and just saying, okay, our, our games are going to get cut down. And we're going to spend more time working on our craft. Yep. Yep. I think you nailed it and really couldn't agree more with you. And I think our listeners tuning in this week are definitely in for a treat. And uh, Rick, if any of those guys tuning in, want to get a hold of you about anything that you've covered today what's the best way for them to do that well i'm like everybody else i just don't advertise just as much on social media but i'm out there at swing rehab on twitter swing rehab on instagram uh coach rick strickland on facebook uh, and our website is trainwithrsb.com so um you know we don't produce a lot of content but we're going to start to 
to put some stuff out there, just kind of what I call brain dumping. <laughs> just going to put what's on my mind and put it out there and people will argue and disagree, but I don't really care. <laughs> you know, unless I hear something else that comes up from somebody else that makes sense for us to try in our lab, we just put it out there and that's how we go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rick, again, we appreciate your time. Uh, we we know that uh, just like just like all of us, you know, we've got busy days and schedules and you making time for our listeners and giving back to the games really, uh, you know, we, we really appreciate it. So thank you again. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Always, always trying to run my mouth for about 20 hours. Oh, we're all here. 25, 30 <laughs> minutes is, is a good time. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Thank you, guys. Man, love to get Rick on. This call takeaway is brought to you by Silverback Sports. Silverback Sports is the alpha when it comes to arm care and training essentials. Silverback's training products are constructed from premium materials and are designed to be durable and dependable to withstand the toughest and most rigorous throwing or training programs. Visit shopsilverback.com to see their entire line of high-quality products at very affordable prices. Also, follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date at Shop Silverback. That's at Shop Silverback. Yeah, man, Rick absolutely killed it. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joy? The thing that I love about Rick is uh, he's a smart cat, you know, and uh, he also has been around, you know, has been around. He's kind of gone through some of these generations of player development and kind of uh, seen the old with the new. And he's a perfect, you know, image in my head of that blend of the old and the new. Right. Um, you know, there's there's that integration of both. And there's that integration, you know, you've heard him. Uh, touch on how you're saying how you know sometimes you know you get all this technology and then also you realize you know I, I don't really need this uh, to execute what I'm trying to execute right there's certain things uh, technology it definitely has a ton of benefits right but uh, sometimes you know I just don't need to you know calculate exactly how what's going on in my car for me to be able to drive it down the street right um, so there's there's some other ways uh, that we can utilize technology there's some great ways that we can uh, interwind the old with the new and I think that he's a great example of that. Um, and what the game's going to look like, those coaches are going to keep continue to look like as the game develops. But how about you, Bo? Yeah, man, I agree with you. I loved hearing you know the perspective of someone that's been in the game for a bit and has the experience that Rick has, and understanding the blend of of the art of generational coaching, and then you know blend that with the new age data and analytical collection. So you know it's all about constantly doing what's best for the player, and sometimes that's not so black and white. And and he touched on that gray area and how he gets the most out of his guys. So I think that was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, guys, uh, we uh, continue to try to provide resources. We need your guys' help with that too. We have that free membership, that free, free, free membership that we have going that we have a whole bunch of resources from some of the top programs in the nation and also some of the top facilities in the nation sharing uh, resources with you guys um, that we put compiled all in one area so go ahead and take advantage of that go to our site the system.farm um, while you guys are also there um, we also you guys check out our shop we want you guys to look like what you already are you're part of the team we want you to look like it so there's some uh, gear on there that you can definitely purchase and dive into um, and you know, again, once you guys, we, if you guys have any of our gear, just another reminder, if you guys have any of our gear, we'd love that for you guys to take a picture, post it on social media at us. We'd love to retweet you. We love to see you guys, uh, supporting the system. Um, you know, Bo, just like I, we, we, we sometimes we're walking down the street and there's guys, people that have our shirts on. So it's awesome. It's a great thing. Uh, free to see advertising, free yeah. advertising guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Get the clout. So, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but from us and our partners over at Yakertech. Until next time, Farm System out.